welcome to Breaking Down Bits, a conversation about great comedy bits with the comedians who wrote and performed them. Wow, another episode of Breaking Down Bits. I'm Brian Gendron. I'm Drew Jordan. We are we're pumped to be uh, doing this again, keeping this train rolling. I appreciate your patience. We had a couple of crazy weeks, and so we're getting back on the train to to wrap up this season four. At, and probably some of our best interviews have happened this season. So if you've missed any of them, man, go back and catch the catalog. It's on all your favorite podcast platforms, but also breakingdownbits.com is the easiest place to find everything about the podcast and, and maybe get a little sampling of, of all the episodes and maybe find one that uh, speaks to something that you're trying to work through in your comedy. Including our last episode, Andy Woodhull, good time to get into callbacks. Uh, I can kick it off, Drew, if you'd like. Our, my, my callback right up the top, Andy started talking about tools uh, that you'd find in Pandora, mm. free tools uh, that can help you uh, grow your following uh, as well as uh, market to, to individual markets. If, you're, if you know you're going to be on tour and you're going to market, you can specifically for free set up an ad that attaches to your Pandora station. So uh, that and so much more. What was uh, your callback from our discussion with Andy? There's actually a lot of good stuff there. I, if, I, if I could like do a, a, a rapid fire, couple of quick callbacks. One, uh, the Sirius XM stuff was so good, and he kind of followed it up with a lot of, hey, if you have some jokes, get them out there. Let, let your old joke keep working for you on the mm -hmm. internet. Uh, don't, don't throw away a joke without finding a home for that on, you know, like you said, he gets mailbox money from Sirius. You can put it on Spotify, like you said, Pandora. And also just I think the, the writing tip I think was just so simple. It was just like listen back to your sets, and as you're listening in real time, tag your own jokes. Something as simple as just listening back. I know it's one of those things that we love and it's hard to do, but listen back and tag your jokes as if you're listening to someone else's set. That's something that's been beneficial for me and I need to do it more for sure. Absolutely. Tag your own jokes. So go back and listen to that episode. Uh, also, if you're interested in joining us, we've had some great feedback mics. We have those on Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, like clockwork. Every week we're there. Uh, you can email us at breakingdownbits at gmail.com. You can send us a direct message on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, but email is the surefire way to get in. If you direct message us, yeah, we'll, we'll do our best. All right. But uh, we hope you join us. It's a great, safe place to work out those new bits and jokes and get great feedback from comics from around the country and around the world. Yeah. Want to bring in our guest? Yep. Let's do it. Uh, you've seen this guy pretty much everywhere. Late night, Seth Meyers, The Late Late Show, Comedy Central Presents. Uh, several albums out there you can find running out of time. One Star Wonder, which did did awesome on, on iTunes top comedy albums. You may know him from the Bob and Tom radio show. He's got stuff on Amazon. He's got a dry bar special. It's everywhere. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Greg Warren. Greg Warren, how are you, man? Hey, guys. Uh, how you doing? Good. Welcome doing to the awesome, show. Man. Glad to yeah, have you. Yeah, thanks, man. Happy to be here. Pumped. 
So the way that we do this thing, Greg, is uh, we like to kick it off by understanding a bit of your background in comedy. Uh, obviously, we just heard a bunch of your credits. You've done some great things with your career. A lot yeah, of if you haven't lost all of the listeners by now, then uh, I'll try to go. <laughs> <laughs> that's right uh, i do a lot of i do some corporate gigs and they'll uh they insist on like they'll ask you hey how do you want me to you know introduce you i'll be like just please make it short just say one credit <laughs> you don't read you know and they're like got it got it and they will get up there and they will read some bio that they found on the the internet that's lists everything and i'm just like all right we're, they're all gonna leave they're all they're all gonna leave while you're introducing me this is this is i can't stand listening to this it's awful it's, you went to uh, yeah. high school at yeah <laughs> yeah 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 it's uh no i'm, I'm just teasing but it, yeah it's um anytime i hear my credits i'm like oh god <laughs> well welcome so memory so tell us, tell us a little bit about the early part of your career, uh, the early goings, how you got started in comedy, uh, and then focus on the breaks along the way. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, I, I, uh, I had. It's interesting because I had like sort of a lot of maybe different starts to my career, um, which uh, probably doesn't uh, speak much for my ability to stick to something. But uh, when I was in college, I went to college at Missouri and. Um, you know, I, I would, I, there was a comedy club there that I worked at a little bit in the, uh, in the summers and, uh, I won some comedy contest they had there. So I sort of was interested in it then. Um, and then I just sort of chickened out after college and got a regular job. I, you know, I just, I, I had a girl that broke up with me. It's like the first time I went through a bad breakup and, um, I don't know. I was just in one of that headspace. I even moved to Chicago to be a comedian and I, I stayed there for like two weeks and I was like, I was a wrestler in college my, my whole life. I was in wrestling and I just was not used to no structure and I just sort of freaked out. And uh, probably some of it had to do with the fact that I, again, uh, was heartbroken, but I, I just freaked out and I'm, you know, I started looking for a job and I, you know, I took a job with this company Procter and Gamble. I was in sales and they, uh, they sent me to Houston, which is, you know, uh, you know, one of the reasons I reached out to you guys a long time, you know, a while back is, um, you know, that was, I took the job in Houston and I, I was down there for like five years. And when I first got down there, I think I was doing open mics, uh, at the laugh stop. And, you know, it was one of those things where I thought I was doing okay. I would just go back and forth. I was like, ah, you know, you're getting better. You like this. And then you have a few bad sets. And I'm like, what am I doing, man? I'm, I'm making a lot of money at this job. I could, you know, I should have a family. I should, you know, be more serious about my career. This is crazy. And then I, you know, it was off and on. I think the last maybe two years I was in Houston, I, I really committed to doing it a, a lot more. Um, I wasn't sure that I was going to quit my day job, but I was doing it. You know, I went it, back then the comedy showcase was there and man, you had to go down there and just hang out. And I mean, for a long time, like it was like two or three months just hanging out, just sitting there you know, seeing guys go up and you're like, I know I'm funnier than that guy or whatever, you know, and I probably wasn't, but, uh, you know, just hang out. And I would, I would, um, spend a lot of time in there. And then, uh, you know, one day they sort of threw me up and I did okay. And, you know, it kind of worked me into the rotation. And then I was working at the laugh stop a little bit. And, um, and then I got transferred. I got, I got, uh, transferred to Cincinnati, um, and with Procter and Gamble. And, and, uh, I was there for five years and that was, a uh, that was 
again, I think there was times in there when I was like, maybe, a, you know, a six month period, like, I'm, I'm not going to do this. You know, I'm, I, get, I was starting to, I got promoted. I was making more money. And I was like, what am I doing? You know, I, I, I was, I was, um, a coward is what I'm trying to say to you guys. I uh, <laughs> like would have some bad sets and then, uh, you know, and then I'd be like, I, I, I can't handle this. And then, um, I think like maybe the last three years I was, I was all in on it and I was getting better. I, I, um, that area was great. Cause, uh, you know, I, I was like, I would MC one week in Cincinnati, um, at go bananas. And then I would MC one week, a month at jokers in Dayton, which isn't there anymore. And and then I would MC one week at the Columbus funny bone. Um, and so, you know, I was working a ton and I started getting better and guys, you know, came through, uh, you know, they, they, you know, the, the guys that came, we, there were a lot of good comics that came through and they, you know, they were like, ah, you're, you're doing pretty good. And, uh, I think at one point, I was trying to get transferred to New York and LA. I was trying to play it safe. Again, I was a coward. I was like, you know, I'm making this job. I was making a lot of money at the time. And, you know, I, I uh, was like, okay, I'm going to get transferred to New York and LA and I'll just sort of get myself into the scene there. And then maybe I'll quit and I'll, I'll have, you know, sort of a soft landing. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I, you know, you're always the first guy, right? When, when you start out, you're the, you're, you're the MC you're, you're, and it's a, it's a, not an easy thing to do. And it, it's the hardest thing to do on the show. And I was like, I, I, God, I want to be the second guy sometime. I just really would like to be the second guy. And I, um, so I, Lisa Grigsby, who's still a friend of mine, I, I shot a comedy special a, a couple years ago and she came to the taping, but she, she owned jokers in Dayton and she was like, hey, I'm going to let you feature a week. And it was Kevin Pollack uh, at Jokers. And it was, you know, not it was when Pollock sort of first came back to stand up. And you know, he was not that far off of a few good men and things like that. So, I mean, people, the, the place was just sold out all weekend. And I was the second guy and I murdered, man. I, I like killed. And Pollock was like, hey, man, you know, you could do this. You know, you, you could do this. And I went back to the office the next day. I was actually working in the, the corporate headquarters at that point. And, um, uh, you know, I was in the office and uh, sitting at my desk and like on, on some level, I just knew that I'm like, that drug is too powerful. Like there's no way that, that you know, I'm going to do this some one way or the other. And I think I tried a little bit to weasel it. And then I would like say, okay, I'm going to get up and I'm going to quit. I'm going to, I'm going to go down the hallway. I'm going to go to my boss's office, Rob D Martini. And I'm going to tell him, Hey Rob, uh, I'm quitting, you know? And I would get up and I would walk to his and I would just go to the bathroom instead. I would like <laughs> completely chicken out and go to the bathroom. Like, what are you doing, man? You're making, you know how much you're like, this is insane. You're not even that good, you know? And then one day I made it into his office and, uh, you know, it's pretty cool. Cause it, at that point, he goes, yeah. He goes, Hey, you're going to do comedy, right? That's why you're quitting. I'm like, yeah, Rob. He goes, yeah. He goes, there's like, there's like 30 binders behind me and they're all about how to talk guys like you out of going to work for a uh, Boston scientific or Johnson and John. We, we used to get like headhunted a lot of, you know, and, and, you know, and he goes, there, uh, there's no binders up there for the comedy <laughs> thing. He's like, you know, I wish you the best. And um, so, yeah, I quit. And man, that, you know, I feel sort of bad for guys like you guys. Cause you know, at that point, um, you know, you could work, I, I think I worked probably 50 weeks on the road that year. Uh, I mean, I just, I, and again, it, it's less, um, 
you know, there's guys that really get out there when they're 20 years old and, you know, they're broke and they're sleeping on the side of the road. I wasn't that guy. Like, I, I, I don't want to romanticize what I did because I had money in the bank and I, I like was preparing for this. I had a really, you know, like a really good car that would get me, you know, through couple hundred thousand miles and you know if it was if the gig was horrible and the hotel was terrible i'd just stay in a hotel which is you know um i so <laughs> it's again i was a little soft but um but yeah i uh i, I worked 50 50 weeks on the road that year and i uh so how old were you when you like really fully committed and started really pushing 33 is when i quit my day job you know wow. yeah and, and i was good at that point i don't want to you know over like i there's something to be said for like basically 10 years on and off of emceeing mm -hmm. you, you got, you know, I got strong. I was in, in three years, like intense, like every week I was, I was hosting. Um, so I was, I was for, for a feature act. I was, I was good. And then, uh, yeah, it was, it was one of the funnest weeks of my, or funnest years of my life that, that first year. Um, I've been telling this story a little bit in my act, but I, so there's this guy, I'll, I'll tell you guys just the short version of it, but there's this guy, he owned this, this comedy club called Deja Vu in Columbia, Missouri. It's, it's not there anymore, but his name was Freddie DeMarco. He's this uh, New York Italian guy. And back in the day, like Fred was like the godfather of the Midwest. Like if you wanted to work the Midwest, he'd just sort of give you, you'd, he'd call so-and-so and so-and-so and, -so, and there were less chains and you would have a bunch of work. So Freddie was like, you know, like, I worked for him. I worked at his bar when I was in college. And, uh, you know, when I, <laughs> he thought I might be a comedian. In fact, he was a guy that like, he set me up with a job in Chicago. He was going to try to get me, you know, and then when I freaked out, you know, I, I called him I'm like, Fred, I, I, I can't, I'm, I took a job at Procter and Gamble. Like, Craig, what are you, what are you doing? Why, why would you do that? Jesus, <laughs> Craig, you, Craig, you're going to be bored for the rest of your life. I fell asleep between the words Procter and Gamble. I'm like, you know, <laughs> like Fred, <laughs> You know, they're giving me a company car. Of course they're giving you a company car, Greg. How else are they convince a 22-year-old kid to sell soap for the rest of his life? We're like, I'm selling peanut butter. Oh, peanut butter, Greg. I'm sorry. I, you know, I had it all wrong. I mean, wait, Jesus, Greg, do yourself a favor. You know, put a gun in your mouth and get it over with. You're going to be bored, you know? So I called him, and I would go down, like, even during my day job, uh, I would, you know, I'd take, if I had some vacation, which towards the end I had quite a bit, I would go back to that club and work. I'd go down to Houston and work at the last stop. And I always stayed tight with the Houston scene. You know, I, I, I was uh, pretty close to those guys. And, um, you know, I, I even auditioned for Montreal when I was, uh, while I had a day job. So, um, at Freddie's club. And, you know, I, he was like, I don't think he ever really took me serious. Like, you know, it's not a bad set for a soap salesman. He's like, gee, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but I think even him, like one time I did, he was like, you know, you, you Greg, you're a lot better that you could do this for a living, Greg. And so I, again, all these things that kind of the Montreal edition and Pollock and all this stuff kind of, I, I wound up quitting my day job. And I, you know, Fred was one of the first guys I told him, you know, Freddie, I, I did it. I, you know, I, 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 I quit. I'm like, Craig, why would you do that? And I'm like, what? you told me to. I told you to do it when you're 22, Greg, not 33. Jesus Christ. Comedy is a tough business, Craig. I tell you what, I mean, there's a lot more stability in peanut butter. I don't know if you're going to make it. <laughs> so, yeah, he's another guy that's stayed close to me for years. But when I did quit, you know, he was kind of 
you know, telling me I was an idiot. But then he, you know, he called me back about, you know, two weeks later. All right, you're going to go down to Austin and then you're going to go to uh, San Antonio. Rich Miller's got you hooked up. And then uh, Colleen's going to put you in Omaha. So like he was a big part of, you know, some of that work. And I don't, I, um, you know, I was a road guy. I was a road comic and I, you know, I, I kind of started to get good on the road but I was there was a really good scene in Houston, Texas at the time. This guy Mark Babbitt was at the last stop, and there was a just a you know a lot of a lot of really great headliners coming through. It was when Mitch started to kind of become something, and Dave Attell, you know, and you know all these guys. The, Henry Phillips was down there a lot, and um, you know there, there was a great scene, and uh, it was it was guys like uh, Ben Mowbray and Mike McRae and Brian Hersey and Rob Mungle and Andy Huggins, of course, and uh, uh, Kristen Lidner and, you know, a lot, a lot of people that are my friends today. But uh, I would make it a point because I knew I was I knew what the road the road could kind of make you a little bit. Uh, if you weren't careful, you could be a road act and you could be, you know, maybe tend towards something a little more pedestrian or a little hacky. And I would sort of go down to the Houston open. I'd go down there and spend like two weeks in Houston every three months just to sort of check myself. And, um, you know, and I would do the open mic and that was sort of like, you know, you could just tell whether it was like, ah, you know, or, oh, that's, that's good stuff. You know, it was a sort of a way, it was the closest thing to like the industry, you know, and I wound up, I think it was towards the end of that year. I wound up auditioning for Montreal again and they, um, and then they took me that year to, to new faces. You know, like it was like a year after being doing comedy. Um, and and that, that was the first break. And, you know, it led to a lot more, a lot more breaks that I got early on that I was, you know, some of them were, were, were lucky. Some of them were my own doing or whatever. There's a lot in there. The, uh, yeah, one, of yeah. the one of the first things Sorry, you said. answer was, there, guys. <laughs> no, no, it's good. We can break down some of that stuff. But like right, one of the first things, especially for newer comics, you got to be in the room. You said you had to be there for months before you were able to get that, finally get that spot. Oh yeah, man. That was the, that was a system back then. It was almost, I mean, I, you know, I, it was almost a little unfair, but I, I actually, I don't know. I think it was probably the right thing. I mean, the guy that owned it, Danny Martinez is great guy, but it was just his system. You got to hang out. Like you just got to be there. And I think now that I think it's probably, you know, you, you, he thinks, okay, you're showing any, everybody, you know, every everybody and it used to be when i was younger like every guy wanted to be a stand-up comedian you know if you asked them oh yeah yeah that's what i want you know and then now it's every guy and girl wants to be a stand-up comedian so it's like they got to have some way to see like is this is this person serious do they really want to invest and it's also like if you do sit in that room for three months you're going to soak something up especially i think you the way what they want you for is an MC. Like that's what they need. They need MCs. And that's, you can learn a lot of the technical stuff by just watching shows. Uh, I don't have a lot of patience for guys that, you know, MC and they're like, man, I don't know what I'm doing. Or you're not, you're, you know, like, well, every comedy club will let you go sit in the back. If you're, if you're, if you're not an idiot, you, you could have, you know, you could have been for, if you knew you had this gig two weeks ago, you could have gone in the back and watched just how do you, how do you bring somebody on stage? How do you do the technical stuff? You know? Well, that's something that we've learned, you know, through hosting these riot shows has been so beneficial to us. We get to watch these these headliners that come in every weekend and there is a lot you pick up from watching. And I think a lot of maybe it's, uh, you know, I don't know, people just being Internet, the Internet and, and the way that the world is now. People like 
they think they're just hilarious. There's a lot of confidence in the, in the open mic scene and they want to like charge in and take over before they even learn how to write jokes sometimes. And I find that every time, every time I watch another he great headliner do a show at the riot, I, you know, it checks me and go, Hey, I got a lot of work to do. And two, I pick up something every time and go, okay, I can, I can work with that. I see what he did there. And it, it's, I don't think people talk about how beneficial it is just to watch great comics work. Yeah, I was. I mean, I was lucky to to have that when I was in Houston. I did see a lot of those guys, and then you know the next step was like when you're early on. It's like uh, we're going to give you a guest set on Saturday night. That was a big thing with Danny down at the comedy showcase. It was like we're going to give you a guest set. So now I don't have to be first, and it's on Saturday night when the place is sold out. It's a cake spot, and you get you come off there, and you're like, I, I think I'm. Uh, the, one of the best that's ever been at this. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's weird, man. Cause you are so confident sometimes, but then man, I, the guys that you were talking about, like, Oh man, these guys think they're so good and they're coming off, but man, that thing can get stopped dead in its tracks uh, on, on a show. I mean, I, I had it happen to me a few times, I, you know, uh, where I'm just like, Oh God, that thing where you're in over your head. Like Freddie got me a couple of feature uh, dates when I was in Houston and I, you know, I knew I was in over my head and it, you got that, th you know, basically you go and you're like, okay, I got to do, you know, 25 minutes and I got these six big bits. I got these six big bits that are sure they're fire bombs, man. They will kill. I got to space them out. I got to space them about every five minutes. And at the end, I'm going to do the big one. And then you get up there and you start tightening up and it's not going well. And you have used all six of those bits within the first eight minutes. And you're like, you guys, this is, this was my good material. Now, now you're really going to see what not thinking somebody is funny is about, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you yeah. It, when you get out on the road is it, it could, it can be a little, I, I've, it can be pretty tricky sometimes. Yeah. I mean, no doubt. I think that's the, it's the drugs, right? It's just this crazy comedy is a drug that can, you can be so hyped up on it one night and think you got it all figured out. And then the next night, man, you just eat it so hard and you, and you get all the doubts hit you. I don't know. I'm yeah. pretty emotional about that stuff. And so I'm like, sometimes it's a roller coaster. I'm like, I'm making progress. I'm making progress. No, I'm a, I'm terrible. I suck. I need to quit. And then you're like, Nope, I'm going to hang in there. It just, it's a roller coaster, especially in the beginning. Yeah. How did you, I mean, I guess you, 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 you kind of cowardly went around it, but how, how do you deal with those? <laughs> how do you deal with the roller coaster, man? When, when you have those, those tough shows, what was there? you have any tips or tricks for that? Yeah, man. I mean, I think, um, it's, it's hard to, when you, it, you know, it's hard to say, Hey, I'll tell you this, you gotta have some, and this maybe this is one way to to think about it, and it may be a little bit um, superstitious, but I, I have a little little bit about that when it comes to uh, comedy or some sort of maybe a little bit of spiritual, uh, <laughs> uh, maybe a little bit of a spiritual notion. But everybody wants to be a stand up comedian, you know. Everybody thinks they're funny. Um, let's to get to where you want to be maybe for you guys it's like you know uh headlining comedy clubs and with a few tv credits or i don't you know wherever you want to be you know obviously you should want to go farther than that you know but maybe that's the next step um let's say you probably you're gonna have to have about 50 bad sets in you you know like you're gonna have to have 50 of those moments when you really look 
into the darkness and be like, what am I doing? You know, uh, when you have one, just, just check it down be like, now, now I only got 49, (laughs) you know, it's a, it's a way it sounds sort of silly, but in a way I think you, you, you gotta pay a price to do this. You you have to, even guys with like ridiculous talent have to pay a price. And one of the hard prices to pay is, is is to take take a beating you know or maybe and that doesn't always have to be a bad set i mean i will tell you this those first five to seven years there, there is a big roller eventually like uh you, the ceiling or the floor comes up like your your default is pretty good like my autopilot is pretty good i'll have sets that i even on tv i'm like i don't like the way that went and you listen and you're like it wasn't bad you know like um uh, so so yeah i i think everybody Maybe it's maybe it's like you you get turned down for a festival or maybe, you know, um, your buddy gets something great and you get rejected or, or you know, maybe you, you send uh, something off to, uh, to for your first TV set and they say, we don't like these jokes. And they will. They, they those guys have jobs. You know, that, that's part of their jobs to say, you know, I want this one, this one, this one. That's that's a good joke. The rest of these I don't like. Those are hard bullets to take. It's no fun. You, you know, you're an artist or you're, you you're, you wrote those things. So maybe that's a bullet. But, you know, so you, let's say you got to take 50 or it's some arbitrary number. Every time one of them happens to be like, all right, I'm this much closer, you know, because there are I promise you it, there's 500 young comics or 500 open micers that, that won't they, they just will crumble at that point. And I, like I said, early in my career, I kind of did, you know, like I wish I would have maybe, um, stuck with it a little bit more early on, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there will, a lot of people will drop out at that point. And there's a difference between doing this as like, uh, like a hobby and doing it as I want this to be my career. And it's, it's sometimes a lot more fun as a hobby, you know, like, it's just like, wow, yeah, this is just something I do. You know, it's the, Kathleen Madigan, who's a you know great comedian and a friend of mine, um, she would call some of those guys uh, bowlers because because basically, like the Tuesday night open mic night, it was just an another bowling league basically. Like they're not gonna, and that's fine too. Like that's part of an open mic, but you know, you guys know there will be some people that's like, hey, I'm a comedian. They they really only do it so they can tell people at the job that that's what they do. So. Um, the other thing I'll say, uh, and again, this may be a little hokey, but like your your recovery time gets better. Like you were saying, uh, Drew, that uh, you know that, that you know it just feels awful. And and I remember like having bad sets or you know doing poorly and just carrying it around for weeks and almost feeling like, you know, when I met somebody that I had to confess to them, like, yeah, my name's Greg Warren. If you don't know, I'm the guy that, you know, had that terrible set uh, up in the woodlands on Thursday night, you know? Uh, But um, like I still, it doesn't happen that often, but every now and then if, you know, I'll I'll just, especially, you know, that you'll just have a bad set and, and I'll still be as angry. And I'll be like, I thought I was immune from this. I've put in the time. I thought I didn't have to ever feel like this again, but I will literally wake up the next morning and be like, ah, yeah, that's just one thing, you know, it's just another. I mean, um, I think that's, I think that's maybe a secret to a lot of people's success. It's just like not giving up, not giving in, not letting the failure stop yeah. you from continuing the pursuit. Maybe, you know, like yeah, the people that win are the people that don't quit. 
Yeah, you got it. I mean, it is, you know, it's, it's, um, we're comics, so it's easy to sort of, you know, see some of the humor in that and make fun of, uh, you know, like that. Cause it sounds like a football coach, but it is, um, <laughs> never stop, never stopping. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you, you kind of got to do that. I mean, Gary Goldman is a guy that's a guy that I know and really, really wise. And, uh, you know, I, I've heard him talk about like the first five years, you, everybody's bad. Like you, there's, it, I mean, there, you, you, I don't mean to say that uh, you won't have great moments during those five years, but you're not that good. Like it just takes an unreasonably long time to get competent at this. And it takes this sort of crazy faith in yourself where, and don't, you know, don't listen to your parents or don't, don't bring them to the shows for the free. Cause that, they're, they just treat it like anything else. And they're, it's not their fault. But they're like, Hey, I, I, you know, I saw you do the thing that you said you want to do. And you were saying that stuff. And then those people out there, they, they weren't responding in any way at all. So I, this is probably not something that you're good at. Um, you should just, you, should, you know, get a different job, you know, or something like that. Yeah. That's a reasonable parent. <laughs> it is. It's just, it's just not most practical people can't see it. Yeah. Then again, do listen to the audience. I mean, you know, like you should record every set. Now, here's a tip. I, I know this is, I didn't realize this is more of a, a, a podcast for comics, right? Sure. Yeah. So this is a tip that a guy gave me early on. That's one of the best tips I ever got. It's a guy named Ron Morey. So listen to your set. Um, you know, t- definitely I do a lot of audio. I rec- audio record every set and listen to it. But don't always listen to it when you're just like s- sitting at the coffee shop and listening to it intently and writing down everything. Listen to it when you're doing the dishes and listen to it when you're driving and listen to it when you're even messing around on the Internet. Listen to it where it's background noise because you'll start to make very subtle adjustments in how you speak. It's, it's a it, man, that thing helped me a ton. Just, just put that thing on. You know how you guys sometimes, um, okay. So your buddy's doing a set and you just walk through the showroom and you're immediately like, I, I know how to fix that joke there. You move that word there and that word there. Okay. Yeah. But when you listen to yourself, you can't because you're so hung up on like, oh, God, I suck. What, what did I quit my what, what, what did I, sh- I should have married that girl? And like, what am I doing? And oh, my voice, does my voice really sound like that? And it's like, if you listen to yourself enough and especially when you're doing something else, you just start to sound like another comedian to yourself and all the emotional baggage kind of drops away and you can make those corrections on your own act like you can your buddy's act because you're not hung up on as much stuff. That's, that was that's one of the best uh, best tips I ever got. Yeah, absolutely. And Andy Woodhull kind of spoke to that in the last podcast. Oh, yeah. Doing writing, having some writing buddies and tagging up other people's jokes and, and doing the same for yourself. Like, yeah, I think that's a I uh, I've had some success with that. I think that's a but you do have to you do have to turn that switch. Right. You have to kind of not listen to it as yourself. You have to listen to it as like, imagine it's another comic maybe or something like that. And I, I think the only way to do that is, is to do it frequently, like every day. And again, incorporate some when you're doing something else where, where you're not just laser focused on it because your mind kind of drifts away a little bit and you're not as uptight and you'll learn to fix jokes a little quicker and you'll kind of maybe find your voice on stage a little quicker too. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's take a turn, Greg, into into writing. We just uh, really open ended. Uh, how does Greg Warren write comedy? Um, well, 
I mean, there's probably a lot of, you know, some of it, I think Andy probably, uh, told you cause we, I know Andy pretty well and we, uh, in fact, you probably heard some of this garbage from me cause I'm a lot older than Andy, but, uh, <laughs> he's a great comic by the way. And a, and a good guy. Um, so, I mean, the, the, I, a friend of mine sent the artist way to me when she, uh, are you guys familiar with this book? Yeah. So she sent that to me when I, uh, started doing comedy and I, I, you know, I talk about it like it's something like the Bible, but I, you know, and I'm not even religious, but, uh, <laughs> but I, 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 um, I didn't read the whole thing. I didn't read the, but I, there's a few things that I took away and that, you know, the, the morning pages I think is, is important. I mean, I think I'm sure I'm, I don't want to get too far into it. Cause you guys, I would guess people have already, uh, talked about that on here. Not really a ton. I think, uh, a couple of guys have talked about it. Um, just basically yeah. three to four pages, preferably in the morning. Sometimes that's, you know, uh, maybe that's not possible, you know, it's for me. I, sometimes I'll do it when I first wake up. Sometimes I'll do it when I get to the coffee shop. Sometimes I won't do it. Um, and it's basically three to four pages, pen on notebook paper, uh, in cursive. Keep the pen moving. Okay. It, when you type, there's just something a little bit. Um, it's not as effective. So yeah, and just keep the pen moving. And you know, if you get stuck, it's like you know what what did I do yesterday? and break it down step by step. Like, you know, I got out of the bed, I put my, put my right foot down and, you know, and then let your mind go wherever it goes. Who did I meet for me is a big one. Um, you know, what did I see? How did I feel? What was I afraid of? Um, just do that. And that thing will not be effective over a week or 10 days. If you do it for a month, it, it will always be effective. And what it does, what it should do couple of things. If you think of something that might be premise worthy, just put it in the margins, just stop, put it in the margins, just write down a couple of words. So you remember what it is. Um, you know, but I also think, you know, some days you're like, uh, you're just whatever you're in the shower or you're walking along and, or somebody says something and you're like that there it is. There's the bit. I don't know why I thought of that. It's too easy. Uh, this is again, this is a little bit spiritual, a little bit uh, superstitious, but I think if you do that stuff in the morning, you, you're, you leave your brain open for more of those moments. Mm -hmm. um, so even if you're not generating uh, rock star material up there in the morning, um, you, you leave yourself open for more of them in the afternoon. Is, is that, is that like clearing out the day before in a way you're just, you're kind of, could be, yeah, I think that's probably what the, the writer of uh, the artist way said. She, I think she was dealing with more people that are, you know, somebody that I, I honestly think she was dealing with people that are, you know, that was uh, intended for like somebody that was a 1970s housewife who had, you know, just had some, her, her creative life had been shut down and this is like, but for us, it's like, we, she's like, if you get a little free time, I'm like, well, we have a lot of it, you know, like, <laughs> like, like I don't have any of those pressures that she has, but um, yeah, I think it's, it's, or if you have all this stress, if you're, if you, it doesn't have to be funny. If you, if you're just like, I'm really upset about this, write that down. And maybe that just gets it out of the way and some other stuff can come in. So that's one exercise. Um, the other exercise I like to do is, uh, so once you have some premises, okay, take about six notebook pages, put a premise at the top of, of every page. Um, maybe it's eight, maybe it's 10. Okay. And then just fill up the page. 
don't spend more than three or four minutes on one page. Flip to the next one, to the next premise. Don't get stale. You know, you know, or if you really are into it, go ahead and stay. But try to keep it moving and then go back through and do it several times. But just fill up the page with maybe association lists. I'm going to come at it from here. Um, my rule is like, hey, we're not trying to write a bit that's going to be you know, on the tonight show, we're going to write a bit. We're just going to try to make this 1% more specific or 1% funnier, you know, just keep doing that, go through, you know, spend three or four minutes on each page, go to the next one. And, you know, just let your thoughts and try not to sometimes when you're like, I, the bit is about this, the bit is about this. And you, you write that. And then you have this offshoot and it's like, that really doesn't have anything to do with what you thought the bit was about. So you're like that. No, that's not what the bit was about. And you're like, if you step back, you're like, that is way funnier than the bit. Chop off all this and just stick with that. Like that. Yeah. And again, so what a lot of comics would be like, I'm going to keep that, but I'm going to do this thing that's not funny so I can get to it because that was what I set out to do. No, get rid of that and just start here. And maybe you find something there. Um, so, you know, I, I think uh, the other thing is. If you sit down and say, like, what's funny? It's impossible some days. It's just like there's nothing is funny. There's not one funny thing. Nothing is funny. So if you start with uh, what is different, uh, what what interrupted the continuum of a normal day? So like I you know I do all these things for two days and that's just how I always do. But that eh, freaking Thursday I saw that one woman in the grocery store and that, that I've never seen anything like that before. A lot of times you can turn that into funny. Like you can turn in, you can turn different or weird or interrupted the continuum of the day into funny. So uh, hey, that's um, super tangible. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that. I think a lot of people are going to really appreciate just how tangi tangible and honest that, that stuff is really good. I think for me personally, and probably hopefully for a lot of people, sometimes oh, you good. Just need those yeah. little techniques to, to get the ball rolling. That's so good. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, and I don't do that other, that exercise with the, you know, top of the page uh, premise. Thing. I don't do it enough, but I did it today. And, you know, d don't worry about making something great. Just worry about, just put the time in, just worry about like, I'm going to try to get, make something that's just, just average. I'm going to just come up with some idea here. And next thing you know, you're, you know, you're 10 minutes in and you got four or five ideas and, um, you know, those usually for me, once I do that, those things are the things where you like, all right, after that, if I, if I have 10 of those pages, I, you, I can usually take two and put them on stage, you know, that night. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you feel like we talked to Scott Dickers, one of the original guys from the onion? Oh, wow. Um, and, uh, he was, he was a volume guy. He was like, look, yeah. just push out the volume and you'll, you'll find the bits. Yeah. That's a, um, some that's a uh, artist's way thing too. Is uh, she was like, uh, you know, and and that that thing gets a little more more spiritual than I'm. Uh, she's like, let God take care of the <laughs> you you put out the quantity, let God take care of the qualities, basically. Oh. So like you put it all out, and it's another like, um, it's something that comics do, and I do it, but they can be real hard on themselves when they have a bad set. You know, it's like, man, I suck, I suck, and say. Don't be hard on yourself about the performance. Be hard on yourself about what did you do that day? That's where you need to be hard on yourself. You know, don't be hard on yourself, especially not during the first seven or eight years. Like, just, it, it's, it was just a set that's going to lead you to be better, be a better comic. And there'll be way more of them. Um, 
there's uh, that's another one of Gary, it's Gary Goldman's. Like, I think it's a bit, but it's like, I think he said is like, he's, he's like, you know, uh, Eminem was like, you only get one shot. He's like, you get a ton of, you get so many shots, you know, I'm, I'm stealing Gary's thing, but you do. I've, I mean, I thought I was dead in this business. Like, 50 times, you know, I thought I was just like, oh, well, you screwed that up. You know, you're, 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 you're never going to get to do anything cool again. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I really, I mean, I, I, actually like five, maybe like five years ago, I, I kind of was like, ah, I think I'm, I don't know. I think I'm done. I'll still do it, but I don't think I, you know, and, and like I've gotten to do some really cool stuff since then. So and uh, talking about sets, um, how do you, how do you prepare for sets and, and like, even up to like the last minute before you step on stage. I know you said you you have some quasi spiritual kind of thoughts. Is there some sort of last minute things you do before you step? No, on stage? that is, that is not, I mean, no, I don't. And probably not like, I literally don't think about it. I mean, it, it, for like a headline set or something like that, every night, like during the day, I'll be, I'll kind of write down like the new ideas that I want to get out, you know? And maybe I'll look at them on my phone or look at them on a list, uh, sitting in the green room. But a lot of, sometimes I won't, you know, for a headline set at a club, I'll just, just go, just go. And if like, we get, we'll get it on tape. We'll evaluate it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know? Um, but yeah, I don't do enough of that. And that, which is bad because sometimes then when the pressure's on, like, I don't, I never feel pressure. Um, just during a, normal set but then you do a tv thing and you're like oh man i haven't felt this in a while like, <laughs> you're like i should have been practicing how to handle this moment more i should have some sort of prep because now i'm like this matters i can it's four and a half minutes on a network tv show and you you don't get a second chance on this one you know on yeah. this set so um yeah i don't i don't do a ton of it i just sort of go and when i i, did, I shot a special uh, i think i told you guys like a couple years ago and um I just, I got like three or four of my friends and, and a, uh, a couple of idiots that, you know, that were from like the, the local comedy scene and just like, Hey, why don't you guys just hang out? Cause I, it was just like how it normally is when you're going up to do a set, you know, like there's goofballs around and, you know, I was like, I, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go up and do a set. So, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and queue up the clip, Greg. This is from your dry bar. I think it came out, was it last uh, year? You know, yeah, you, you like years it. Ago. What? A couple years ago. You don't like it? I don't particularly love watching myself, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, we can do some we're, of it. Yeah. We're going to make you do it. It's a great, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's a really good bit about restaurant. Uh, I'll go ahead and roll the clip. I spent too much time alone, though. I eat in restaurants by myself. That's not good. I'm defensive about it. I walked in this place the other day. The girl up front looked at me. She goes, just you? Yeah, it's just me. I know I've made some poor decisions in my life. I don't know. I was going to have to explain myself to the hostess at the macaroni grill. Then they try to make small talk with you when you're walking over the table. So what brought you in today? Food, mostly. I heard that you guys had it. I wanted to eat it. If you eat by yourself, they always want to put you at the bar. Every time you walk up there, party one. Oh, you want to eat at the bar? No, I don't. I know what you're saying. Oh, 49-year-old man, all by yourself, probably got a little bit of a drinking problem, don't you, sir? <laughs> don't worry, we got a place for you right in there. Bunch of drunks and losers, just like you. You'll love it. You don't belong in there. That's for families. Decent people. You're not going to like it. Maybe you'll meet somebody in there. The two of you will hit it off, go out, clean up your lives, come back, then we'll put you over there. But for right now, get in there with all the animals. That's where you belong. <laughs> 
If you eat by yourself, you can't go to the bathroom. You have to hold it the entire meal because there's nobody to tell them that you're still working on your food. I went to the bathroom the other day. I came back. There's a family of five sitting at my table. I go, hey, man, where's my food? Guys, like, I thought you were done. I have one bite. I'm going to have to start getting a table right next to the bathroom so I can hear whether they're taking my food away while I'm in the bathroom. I'm in here. I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're doing. Knock it off. Sooner or later, it's like, sir, do you have, a, you have a seating preference? I do. Just put me in the bathroom. I don't care anymore. When I go to the restaurant, I just want to eat. I don't want to talk to the waiter. I don't want him to teach me why his restaurant is special. So, have you ever eaten here before? No, but I bet I can figure it out, coach. <laughs> Let me guess, the thing in your hand is a menu. I point to an item, you make it, I eat it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe here, every 15 minutes, an orangutan drives a riding mower full of food through the restaurant, and I got to throw a ping pong ball at the item that I want. But if that's the case, I don't want to eat here in the first place. <laughs> Have you been in the restaurant when they're training somebody new? It's just creepy. They got that one girl lurking behind the other girl. She doesn't even talk. She's like, Next time I eat, I'm going to bring my friend Mike. I'm going to sit him across to me. The waiter's going to be like, can I help you, sir? No, that's my friend Mike. He's just going to be watching me tonight. He's training to eat here in a couple of weeks, actually. They don't like it when you switch tables. Hey, Megan, the sun's in my eyes. Can I move to that table right there? Mm, that's Jennifer's section. Okay, how about if you wait on me in Jennifer's section? Mm, that's impossible. Impossible? Really, Megan? We're not talking about North Vietnam and South Vietnam. We're talking about areas of a Ruby Tuesday that are separated by a line that an 18-year-old made with a magic marker on a dry erase board. With a little bit of courage, we can cross that line together, Megan. They're so serious about those sections. Half the time, I'm the only one in the restaurant. I walk up there, party of one. Hold on. She looks down at that schematic for like 15 minutes. Look, MacArthur, it's not a battlefield, all right? You pick a table, and I'll sit at it. I don't know whose turn it is. It's my turn. I'm the only one here. Just turn around and spit. And whatever table you hit, I'll sit. I'll sit at the one next to it, okay? Oh, my God. So, uh, wow. So you, you have a, you, a lot of words per minute, more than most comics in this set, at least in that particular set. Yeah. I was watching it being like, man, you were real. That was like three years ago. I think that like you were real fast on that, yeah. which I, you know, and the, that restaurant bit has always, I do get to that sort of rhythm every now and then in, in, uh, most of my sets, but not not quite as often, not quite as fast as that. And, uh, and, and as often, like if I, if I were to look at that, I'd be like, ah, you probably should have taken a beat here and there on that one. You know, it worked. I mean, it, it was, it had me rolling here in my, in my, in my bedroom, uh, <laughs> but, but, and you have these, uh, you, you kind of, you do kind of change speed a little bit and you get to this, uh, the angry voice and you also get to like the, I give up voice. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there, it's a perfect there, uh, encapsulation of me and, and uh, <laughs> an angry quitter. Is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, those voices just sell those punchlines so well. And you can tell that you're, you're making it like you create a visual basically kind of through those, to those voices. It feels like I, I know that person. I know kind of who they are through the way that you kind of like encapsulate their voice. When you oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I, I love that. Yeah, I mean, I've always d d had some dialogue in my act. It's sort of um, not always, but early on, you know, I, a buddy of mine, that guy, Ron Morey, that I told you about, I remember him. It was in the Laugh Stop um, bar, and he was like, 
you know, I was, I had done a set and then I was like sort of doing impressions of these club owners and like, and he was like, man, you, that's you. Like, that's how you make people laugh. You should, however you make your friends and your family laugh, that's probably some version of what you should be on stage. And, uh, so I started doing, you know, experimenting with characters and, um, you know, I had, I had one bit that, that uh, there was like a character bit that sort of put me on the, it got me to headliner. It got me, it's, it got real big on a few radio stations and stuff, but I've kind of gone in and out like that. I think is like real tight, tight character. Like they're not cartoon characters. They're real. They're just people and you get in them and you get it out of them quickly. And they're not, a, you know, it's not this totally different voice. And I, I've had fun with sort of doing a little bit of that. And then, and then with going back to doing some bigger characters, um, you know, so I, I've always enjoyed doing that. It's, it, it, it dialogue is tricky. Cause you know, you got to have a rhythm to it. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm still, still trying to figure out how to do it. Right. Yeah. I was kind of, I was kind of surprised that dry bar, after hearing from some other people, let you get away with the, all the alcohol references in that bit. Oh yeah, I guess I did talk about the bar thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They were fine with everything. I mean, I, I remember being pretty because I, I work. And I, I haven't always, but I work r really clean, anyways. You know, so the dry bar it wasn't a big d deal for me. I you know I was just like okay, and I remember asking like what you know what they didn't have a problem with anything. So um, did you do something? Was there a technique or a thought or a or something that flipped to help you write more clean? Um, I mean, I was never that dirty. I was a little, little profane, you know, and I think it's just take another run at it. One of the problems that, that I see and wrestling, I think sort of crystallized this for me one time when we were, I was doing a thing on BET. I still remember this. It was when I was living in LA. I was a, I was like the only white guy on this BET show. It was like a contest show. And I was like, I was like seven or eight episodes in and I was out of material. And, and I was just like wrestling. And I had a bunch of those guys. Hersey lived with me and Ben lived with me and we were in LA. And then I was like, man, I got to figure out how to make some of these bits. Okay. For TV. And John was like, I like, and I've always thought this too. Don't, don't use a replacement word you know like that's that it just sounds lame like uh you know don't and i don't know what we can say or can't say on here but uh yeah so if i if you if you're like you're the bit is like i'm fucking angry don't go back and be like i'm flipping angry or i'm friggin angry start over write a different way you know like reroute the joke don't replacement words are really lame and then you know like try not to write it dirty in the first place because it'll take two seconds to put it in and about four years to take it out you know uh and i've done both you know trust me i've, I've done both um and it, it it's it's a little trickier and i'm not like this big uh i mean there's a lot of comics that are filthy that i think are hilarious it's just sort of where i you know i i was always reasonably clean maybe a little profane um and I heard you guys talking about uh, Andy Woodhull and Sirius Radio. Sirius has been huge for me. And the guy that runs Sirius Comedy, sort of, he he used to be at Comedy Central Records. He did like my first album. And, and, and he said, hey, you know, you're too close to being clean to not be all the way clean. And he said, if you get, get me an album that's really clean with your type of stuff on there, and I'll give you a ton of airplay on, on Sirius. And, you know, it's been, 
great. I've got, you know, you know, a lot of people listen to that. a lot of people, people listen to serious comedy stuff. So, right. um, it was really good advice. And that, that was probably about five, six years ago. And it's, you know, sort of gone in that direction that, that being said, man, there, you'll see a live show every now where I'm going to say something that's, that's not, you know, it's not filthy, but, um, every now and then I feel like it. And, you know, there's two bits I'm trying to work on a new hour. Um, and I'm about, I don't know, some nights I think I'm 50 minutes in and some nights i think i only got about 30 minutes but you know there's there's two places where i'm like you gotta there's you can't say those uh you know on on where how you want this album or special to be i gotta take them out and i shouldn't have had them in in the first place but uh they're not egregious but you know um sometimes it's a lot of fun Let, let's uh, let's go ahead and move into our last segment. I warned you about it. I'm going to play a quick graphic. Uh, sorry, I cut you off with that weirdness. Uh, the, <laughs> the segment is called, uh, excuse me, it's called Last Laugh. And uh, basically, Greg, it's the, it's the joke you want to be remembered by. It's the joke you can have on your tombstone. It can be yours, somebody you respect. Uh, doesn't even have to be a joke, honestly. What do you want to have? Yes. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. It feels a little, uh, it feels a little arrogant to talk, say that I'm going to put one of my jokes up there, especially I don't, I can't remember a lot of the short jokes either. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll give you, um, I'll just, I, I'll, I'll tell you maybe a joke that I like, uh, uh, that's short. Dennis Regan has this joke where he says, uh, yeah, I was at this party and, uh, as with my wife, I didn't want to go. And, uh, there's this guy there. He's one of those guys He's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's obnoxious. He didn't like that. He's like, yeah, people either, uh, they either love me or they hate me, you know? And, uh, Dennis says, I bet it's not 50, 50. <laughs> that's a good that's a good way to go out yeah. I, always, I always thought it was like it's just a perfect uh, short yeah i love that joke man it's great that's well, perfect well, yeah. well, well, great. i don't know i gotta I got call dennis and see if i can license his joke for my tombstone but that's right. <laughs> well good stuff man uh you, you keep up with your website regularly for dates and any other yeah, places yeah. To, uh so we'll go ahead and shout that out oh and, yeah greg warren comedy.com yeah so it's uh there's usually a bunch of stuff on there and i got yep. yeah i got there's a a special called where the field corn grows it's uh on uh amazon prime and then we just put it on youtube last week so it's oh. it's easy to find yeah very yeah. nice Hold on. Well, well greg thank you so much for joining us and we're going to see you next week in in houston so yeah, we're glad. can't wait to get back there man that's gonna be uh, fun sounds yeah. like you're gonna have a blast man for sure uh based on the history you have here so Thanks for doing it. And thank you, everybody, for listening. It's been Breaking Down Bits. Bye. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for listening to Breaking Down Bits. You can keep in touch or get more when you follow at Breaking Down Bits on social media. Visit the website BreakingDownBits.com or shoot us an email at BreakingDownBits at gmail.com.